Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom of God. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, what he called the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself the question, what exactly is the Christian Gospel or Good News? What did Jesus challenge his audiences to believe as the saving Good News or Gospel what did he mean by the phrase so often found on his lips, the kingdom of God? When did you last hear a preacher invite us to repent and believe in the gospel about the kingdom of God, as Jesus invited his audiences to do, for example, in Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15? And that, of course, was the very opening of the ministry of Jesus. And Mark 1, 14 and 15 give us a summary, programmatic statement encapsulating the very heart of what Jesus was about, namely the announcement of what he called the kingdom of God. We've been suggesting in these programs that one must read Jesus as a Jew of the first century in order to understand him intelligently. It is insufficient to read our 20th century ecclesiastical ideas back into the Bible if we do this, we run the risk of confusing our own westernized and often philosophical ideas with the teaching of Jesus. We must remember that Jesus was a Jew operating out of a certain worldview that he inherited from the Hebrew Bible. And the Hebrew Bible is what we rather mistakenly call the Old Testament. That 77% of our Bible, which was the seed plot of the ideas of Jesus Christ himself, Jesus regarded the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, as a repository of divine revelation, a guide from a gracious creator informing us what God is working at on this planet, telling us about what God is doing by way of restoration, of restoring the ideal kingdom of God which was lost in the Garden of Eden. The whole plan of the Bible involves a kingdom project. We might call it Operation Kingdom. The Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, is Act 1. The New Testament is Act 2. But these are Acts 1 and 2 of a single drama. And that drama involves the plan of the Creator to restore sensible, sound, and ideal government to this planet. And he's going to do this by sending his own son back to the earth to act as his vice-regent, to be in fact the king of the kingdom of God that will be established on the earth. We've been pointing out that a most simple teaching of Jesus Christ has been very much distorted and confused by traditional Christian theology. I'm referring there to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, right at the very start of the famous Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus outlined the conditions of Christian behavior for those expecting to enter the kingdom when it arrives, Jesus said this, Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the land or the earth. And he was quoting there from Psalm 37, which in five different verses said the very same thing as Jesus announced in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek. They're going to have the earth as their inheritance. Now, that doesn't sound like a promise of heaven. How is it then that Christians constantly talk about when I get to heaven, so-and-so's in heaven, what will heaven be like, and so on, when that isn't the language of Jesus at all? The objective of the Christian faith, according to Jesus in those words in Matthew 5, 5, 
is quite simply the inheritance of the earth. Happy or blessed to be congratulated are those who are meek in their attitude, said Jesus. They're going to inherit the earth. And in Revelation 5 verse 10 we find that the whole plan of God's salvation can be summed up like this. Jesus has died for people of all races and nations and tongues and they are going to reign as kings upon the earth. Revelation 5 verse 10. In multiple passages in the Hebrew Bible we learn that the Messiah is going to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem. That's in fact the city which God desires to dwell in and he's going to dwell there by dwelling in his son, the Lord Jesus Messiah, who will be God's representative on the earth and whose kingdom will be established on the Davidic throne in Jerusalem. These are fundamental building blocks of Bible understanding. In Luke 1.32, we read of the visit of the angel Gabriel to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Gabriel made this astonishing announcement that Mary was going to become pregnant and bear a child and the Lord God of Israel was going to give him the throne of his father David and he is going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now, anybody schooled in the Hebrew Bible knew exactly what that meant. The throne of David had, of course, existed at the time of David and also of Solomon, David's son. But the throne of David had ceased to exist at the time of the Babylonian captivity, around 586 B.C., when the Jewish people, as being the representatives of God and as possessing the throne of David, on which their king sat, those people, the Jews, were taken into captivity at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And from that time on, the Jewish throne of David ceased. There was no king of the line of David sitting on the throne of David from the time of the last king who was Zedekiah, and he perished in the 500s B.C. And so when Gabriel, the angel, paid a divine visitation to Mary and announced that she was going to have a son, the famous Messiah, the promised Messiah, and that that Messiah would sit on the throne of David and rule over the house of Jacob forever, there was no doubt at all about what that announcement meant. It did not mean that the throne of David was going to be in heaven. Such a thing would have been absolutely impossible. It would have been as difficult and problematic as saying that the throne on which Prince Charles of England will one day sit is in fact in Moscow. Such a thing is nonsensical in that New Testament context. What Gabriel announced to Mary was perfectly plain. The throne of David had to be restored in Israel with a new Davidic king, a king of the line of David, sitting on it, administrating a new world government. And that's exactly what that basic promise of Gabriel to Mary uh, guarantees for our future. Now, it's a fact that Jesus never sat on the throne of David. And it's an equally established fact that Jesus is not now sitting on the throne of David. That fact can be demonstrated very simply from the book of Acts, chapter 1. If you look in the book of Acts, chapter 1, and the fifth verse, you will find that Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit was going to come in a few days' time. Now, quite clearly, that event happened a few days later at the famous outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, a well-known biblical fact. But notice that the Spirit was to come in a few days' time. In verse 6 of Acts 1, the disciples asked a most reasonable question. 
And that question is recorded for us by Luke to show the logic of the disciples' question in relation to what Jesus had just said about the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.6, Jesus was asked by the disciples, and this, by the way, was their last question to him. They said this, Is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, that was a question about the coming of the kingdom, the Davidic kingdom, promised, of course, by all the Hebrew Bible and also by Gabriel then to Mary in the passage we were just referring to. So when the disciples asked about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel, Jesus replied as follows. He said in Acts 1 verse 7, It's not for you to know the time when the kingdom is going to be restored. It was not for them to know the times and the seasons, but they were going to be filled with Holy Spirit for mission and ministry within a few days' time. Now from this passage we derive the following facts. The coming of the Spirit, according to Jesus, was to be in a few days' time. The coming of the restoration of the kingdom, as to say the kingdom of God restored to Israel, the Davidic throne uh, restored again in Jerusalem, that event was to be at a time unknown. I want you to notice most carefully that Jesus did not for one moment correct the disciples in the nature of their question. Their question was about the restoration of the kingdom. Jesus did not say to them, how terribly mistaken you are, there will be no restoration of the kingdom to Israel. He said nothing of the sort. He merely told them that the coming of the restoration of the kingdom to Israel was to be at a time unknown in the future. But you notice that the Spirit was to come in a few days' time. Now, there's a contrast there between a few days in the future and a time unknown in the future. The Spirit comes in a few days, and it did indeed come at Pentecost a few days later. But the kingdom of God and its restoration to Israel is going to come at a time unknown to Jesus and the disciples when he spoke there in around A.D. 30. And so you see, the coming of the restoration of the kingdom to Israel is not the same event as the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. Now, the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost occurred when Jesus went to sit at the right hand of the Father. He was exalted through the ascension to the right hand of the Father, and it was from that position that he was empowered by God his Father to pour out the Spirit in a dramatic way on the day of Pentecost. All of that happened within a very few days of Jesus' last conversation with the disciples before he ascended to the right hand of the Father. But the coming of the kingdom was to come at a quite different time, namely at a time unknown in the future. That must prove to any unprejudiced reader that the coming of the kingdom did not occur at Pentecost. The coming of the Spirit occurred at Pentecost. The coming of the kingdom is yet in the future. That distinction is vitally important if we are to read the New Testament with intelligence. It is simply a fact that the church cannot be equated one-to-one -one with the kingdom of God. Now, there's a connection between the church and the kingdom, certainly, because the church and the church members in the New Testament are those who are in training for a time coming when they're going to rule with Christ in the future kingdom. But the church is a fact of the present. The kingdom of God, according to Acts 1, 6, and 7, is a fact of the future at a time not known either to Jesus or the disciples. We recommend that distinction to you in Acts chapter 1 
And bearing that in mind, you will read then the New Testament with the same scheme as Luke had, as Jesus and the apostles had, namely that the coming of the Spirit was at Pentecost, but that the coming of the kingdom is still in the future. Now, as far as the kingdom is concerned, it's plain from many texts of Scripture that that kingdom is going to appear when Jesus appears. The coming of the kingdom is the same as the coming of the Son of Man in power and glory at his second coming. Many passages in the Gospels will confirm that for you. And when the kingdom comes, it's going to be on the earth. You see, many Christians seem to think that Jesus is going to visit the earth again, temporarily, and whisk people off to heaven. Now, that idea simply will not fit with multiple texts in the New Testament. Jesus is coming again. You can read a plain statement of that fact in Acts chapter 1, verse 10. While the disciples were looking intently up into the sky as Jesus was going away, suddenly two men dressed in white, obviously angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing there looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken away from you into heaven, will come back in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, that's a very simple message. Jesus, of course, left the earth and went into the sky. And he's going to come back by appearing in the sky and coming to the earth. That's simply a fact of all New Testament understanding. We leave you to ponder these great facts of the New Testament and join us again as we continue to probe Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.